Hello, and welcome to the Stockout. This is your show at FreightWaves for all things related to the CPG industry, the retail industry, and their supply chains. I'm Mike Bowden, just still joined by Grace Sharkey. Grace, you're back fully from Hawaii and uh, fully back in the saddle, I take it. Yeah, and and we're both uh, both of us. Our connections are working today, so we're, we're. I feel like this is our first truly back episode, if anything. <laughs> yeah, actually, off to a good start for a change. So we have that going for us um, today. We're going to be talking about um, RFID tags, Walmart, Nestle, and we're going to talk to Tracy Meter of Sunset Transportation. That's a lot to go over in twenty six minutes. Um, so uh, get right to it. Just want to make one quick announcement. If you have not signed up for the Stockout newsletter, you can do that at www.freightwaves.com forward slash the Stockout. Um, and maybe one other announcement, I am speaking, if anyone is going to the retail conference um, in uh, Grapevine, uh, Texas um, this week, um, I'll be there speaking on uh, Wednesday morning. Uh, please say hi. First thing Wednesday morning, it's 8.30. Um, topic of the presentation is what to expect when you're expecting disruptions. Someone maybe got a little overzealous with the um, the title of that uh presentation, but uh, that's this week. And um, you can also sign up for the FreightWaves conference via a special code on any of the FreightWaves uh, newsletters. So I encourage people to, to do that. Um, so I want to get into our first topic, which is something that you know, you've spent time looking at is RFID tags, which really does seem to be the future of tracking you know, inventory. Um, did a show last year with someone who was in the um, legal marijuana industry that really was looking at using RFID tags in order for states to come for, for companies to comply with all the various state regulations um, in, in sort of so the state knew that they were collecting all the taxes, all the various points. It was really sort of tamper proof um, was was part of it. But but what have you gathered on um, RFID tags? Yeah, it's uh, the biggest thing I've noticed, and especially with the NRF uh, retail theft uh, report that came out last year. Excited to see the, the one that comes out this year, but the one that even last year touched on a lot of issues with of course you know theft within stores even down to some of the theft prevention initiatives weakening uh consumer uh activity within stores as well stores like the dollar store right where you go in and it's like geez i have to ask for for anyone to open something up walgreens seems to be kind of turning into the same thing uh, but a lot of stores are, are pointing to RFID tags as a great way to use technology that's been around for quite some time now uh, and help eliminate the, the threat of theft, but also keep track of inventory. Now, on the theft side, I think companies like the dollar store, I mean, even some of these luxury stores where right, we're seeing uh, like grab and go situations from uh, a theft as well. Or any, really any store with like a high number of SKUs where they can, even at the supplier level, tag these things and really watch their their full supply chain circle. I think it's, it's great for this. And uh, a couple articles I, I read on this really pointed to Macy's and the work that they've done, I think, since about 2003, putting in RFD tags, especially for theft prevention and, and finding actually with that initiative, like what they call these like smart exits where maybe they're they're previous uh, theft prevention tools would watch a coat uh, if it was uh, taken from the first floor, but not the second store floor or some of these back exits that people can can take uh, in some of these malls. So uh, they've done uh, an incredible job and have seen theft lower. But really what's great is these tags can not only track, you know, what was stolen, who stole it, how much they stole, where they exited, 
who else might be a part of this overall uh, theft ring, but also tracking inventory. Uh, Macy's, like we said, has the theft aspect, but now they they only count their inventory truly once a year because they can basically uh, refresh their their systems and see what's uh, moving throughout their supply chains at any point. So again, it's it's a technology that's been around that people are just starting to realize, okay, this is something that we can utilize for a number of reasons within our, our warehouses and our stores. Yeah, and it seems like the cost of these RFID tags have come down a lot too. So now it's only like pennies a tag. So I think that's a big part of why now, in addition to the concerns about uh, theft and employee safety and all those things. Um, I want to move on to this next topic, which is, uh, I thought this was a really interesting article in the Wall Street Journal, um, you know, really right up our alley with this topic to the show, is, is Walmart is lowering its OTIF standards um, so that was one, you know, one article. And I saw another article that was in Retail Dive or something that, you know, they're sourcing more from India. And so, um, you know, I think, I think this, is, this is really interesting. So, so basically Walmart, during the supply chain disruption of the pandemic, they increased the standards for OTIF. And now they're rolling back some of these things. So now they want the suppliers to be on time 90% of the time. That's a reduction from 95% of the time. So pretty, you know, big change there. And then, um, you know, the, well, I guess I guess 90% on time, I think I read this wrong, 90% on time and um, 90% in full, 95% in full. Okay, so 90 and 95. So those measures were both 98% in 2020 with all the disruptions where it was actually harder to meet those standards. And you sort of put that in the context of what they talked about last week on their earnings call where they talked about their inventory being down. Now they've been trying to get their inventory down for like, you know, a year and a half or something. And they seem to be at a level where it's running really efficiently. They talked about this in the last quarter, inventory down four and a half percent. And they said that not only is that just good because you have less carrying costs, but just the, the back office efficiency of managing the operations is just a lot more efficient, just a, just, just a lot, um, you know, fewer disruptions just because there is less, you know, in inventory. So I thought both of those things um, you know, were really, really interesting. Um, and, you know, you tend to think of Walmart as being kind of nasty about these fees, but they do seem to be working with their suppliers right now. I mean, you're, you have your experience in, in, in brokerage. Did you ever run into these, to these fees? And, and the other thing I thought was interesting yeah. was really, um, you know, they, they talked about how that's really maybe less, the, the, the collecting the fees is less important than just running the supply chains efficiently, that that's the bigger cost there. So it's not really, they're trying to penalize the supplier, they're trying to encourage a certain behavior that improves everyone's um, efficiency. Yeah, I, I worked with a number of Walmart suppliers and like, especially almost not directly through Walmart, but actually working with the supplier and, and doing their outbound to these facilities. And uh, those suppliers put you through the ringer because they know about these issues, right, that, that, that they potentially run into with Walmart if they were late. Uh, what's interesting, and I think especially brokers that work with Walmart in particular, is they bring up the fact of like, how are you collecting the, these statistics, right? Like, are you counting a driver on time if he's there but hasn't been unloaded? Uh, a lot of that like back and forth used to happen when I was covering those loads. It's like, yeah, I'm here, but I've been waiting two hours to get through a guard check or you know certain things like that where it's it's like... Uh, we need to work together to figure out how we're pulling these statistics. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. I think, again, this isn't so much, I think, Walmart saying like, you you owe us, here's these fees that we can collect as like some source of, of revenue or collection of loss, but more so 
of like finding these little areas. Okay, well, if you're not 90%, why is that happening? Is it difficult to set appointments? Well, that's a lot of times what it would be back in the day is like, you got something picked up on a Tuesday, but we can't deliver it till like a Friday. And, and, and that kind of stuff can really uh, hold hold drivers back and have them lose a lot out of their pockets as well. So I like that they're, they're being more um, accountable of, of fixing even maybe their uh, intake and, and how they're bringing in orders and making this more of a conversation because that's I think that's truly what will see them get to that 90%. Now, again, in the article mentions, and we both know this, like, for things to run perfectly, I don't even think we any of us would have jobs in this industry. So to hit 98%, I think is pretty crazy. But to bring it down to a more reasonable level makes a lot of sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the other thing related to Walmart suppliers, I thought was interesting was this, this, um, you know, news item that came from a supply chain dive, which is, is where, was where I found it. It was, um, so Walmart's look, work, working towards sourcing 10 billion of goods annually from India. That would be a triple from about 3 billion and change, you know, currently, um, I guess they've sourced about 30 billion, you know, to, to date. And so they, they have all these, you know, expos to encourage, you know, try to get more suppliers from India. Um, and then sort of put that in context, their cost of goods sold by 420 billion. So it would go from less than 1% of sourcing to more like two and a half percent of sourcing from India. So it seems to be just really tie well with a lot of what we talked about with the sort of China plus one strategy, talking about, you know, Rosemary Coates and the, um, the um, nearshoring Institute. It's really maybe not always nearshoring, it's kind of China plus one strategy. So Walmart really mm-hmm. moving to, um, you know, diversify their supply chain. So I thought that was interesting. Um, I want to just spend just a minute on this next topic, which is Nestle guidance, I think disappointed investors. You know, their shares took a hit, went from 113 to 108, started the year about 115. I'm speaking of the, the Nestle ADR. So you see Nestle in the black line there, S&P 500 and the, the blue line. So some pretty significant um, underperformance year to date. And I think the main thing there is they're not seeing the volume growth that they had been seeing. So up until last year, so Nestle's volume seemed to kind of defy gravity. And I think people attributed that to the fact that Nestle really positioned its um, portfolio towards the higher, um, you know, know, products that can cater to higher income consumers. They divested a lot of the the lower margin businesses, um, sort of revamped their portfolio uh, pretty nicely. But, you know, here for all last year, their sales volume, which they call real internal growth, contracted 0.3% and their guidance for 2024 to organic sales of 4%, um, that's going to be down from 7.2% in 2023 and below the expectation going into the quarter of 4.7. So a little bit of a underperformance there. They wouldn't break out what they thought the volume would be, but they did say sort of historically kind of in that one to one and a half percent um, range is something they're trying to get back to. So it does seem, does seem like consumers cutting back um, and that's having an impact on on, on Nestle. Um, they say they, they, people underestimated the impact that the elimination of the um, enhanced SNAP benefits was having on the, on the greater food industry. I thought that was an interesting comment. Um, and then there was this one investment firm that in its letter to investors explained why they were cutting their position in Nestle shares. And they cited that there's fewer opportunities for for growth. And this was a growth portfolio. Um, you know, and, and they cited maybe the opportunity to acquire companies that are growth companies is, is less now given where, where valuations are currently. So that was one other thing I thought was interesting in the, in the CPG space. Um, you don't want to move on to our, our, our guest, make sure we leave enough time yeah. for her. Guest is uh, Tracy Meters, Chief Commercial Officer of Sunset uh, Transportation. 
uh, do we have Tracy? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Hey, yes, we can. <laughs> Hi, guys. Thank you so much. For, oh, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Excited to, to have you here with us. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your role over at Sunset? So um, I'm over the commercial side of the business, which is sales and marketing. Um, I've been in, on the uh, supplier side of transportation management for uh, going on 35 years. So um, I've, I've seen it go through a lot of changes. Um, and I've been with Sunset for this is my eighth year and really excited. We've had some exciting growth over the past eight years and um, we went through an acquisition at the end of 2022. Uh, and, you know, it's just been a really great ride um, working with a customer-centric uh, 3PL, 4PL in the market. Yeah, and, and what are your, your thoughts on the market currently? I know there's a lot of speculation that the market could turn later this year. I think it's going to be more of a carrier's market, um, you know, six or nine months from now. You know, how are you... Um, advising shippers to position themselves? So, you know, right now, um, hopefully all the shippers, and and I know what we've been working with our shippers on, that they've completed a bid, that they've got a bid locked in for 2024, and that they can scoop up um, some additional savings. You know, we've been in a shipper market for over a year, and, um, you know, that that's going to change at, at some point. Um, but we're really recommending in their bids that they expand the number of carriers in their routing guide, um, that they keep about two to three brokers in there that they've worked with um, historically and have had good success and, and good service with them, all in the preparation for when the the shift occurs and the carriers regain some of that, that pricing power. Um, we also are reminding our customers that it's not only about rates. Um, to really work toward being that shipper of choice, uh, payment terms. You know, we hear a lot from our carriers. We pay our carriers um, very fast, and and we do that strategically um, so that we can get their capacity and we can get the rates that we need um, to pass on to our customers, but also to be be profitable. Uh, I think shippers really need to look at what what those straight payment terms are. If you're at 60 and you could go to 45, you know, that's getting 25% of a carrier's money to them faster that um, gives them more access to capital to grow uh, and to, you know, continue to invest in their business. Um, so th those kind of old school back to basics, um, but be aware that the, the market and the pricing dynamics will shift. We're going to continue to get our shippers savings, but we're looking at end of Q3 probably is when we're going to see it. We're seeing, um, you know, of course, I follow FreightWaves data and, and all of the other data aggregators out there as well. There are slight indicators that, that um, you know, we're kind of rebalancing from a supply and demand perspective. But uh, I, I don't see it coming anytime soon. And I think it's definitely in the second half of the year. And so brokers, carriers, we're kind of preparing for um, a flat 2024. 
Whereas, you know, shippers are are going into 2024 with higher um, positive sentiment and, you know, the realization that they've got, you know, at least two more quarters to to save on their freight spend. Uh, I love that, especially a lot of the, the carrier advice, right? It's like, talk about shipper of choice, like, yeah, pay them faster is probably the, the easiest check mark that you can can focus on. Uh, you, you started to bring up the, the supply and demand aspect as well. And I'm wondering, when you're having these conversations with shippers, what are you hearing from them in regards to their freight demand, their inventory levels in particular, and, and what their, their warehousing and capacity needs are? Do you feel like that's beginning to shift at all? Slightly, yeah. So I, I was... Uh, Listening to the the RFID and and the consumer goods report out that you guys just did, um, and what we're seeing is is in line with the statistic that Mike was talking about. I think with Walmart from a warehousing perspective, at the end of Q4, warehouse um, vacancy rate was five point two percent. So you think, okay, what in the world does five point two percent mean to me, Tracy? Um, in 2023, we started out the year at 3.1% vacancies. By mid-year, end of Q2, we were at 4.6, and then we're entering 2024 at 5.2. To put that in perspective, uh, the 15-year average of warehouse vacancy is um, 6.4%. So we're not even back up to so we still have a, a lot of stock that that um, is there. We're not back to historical, um, you know, vacancy rates that we saw 2019 and forward. We also, in if if we recall the COVID days, um, <laughs> you know, Amazon doubled their distribution footprint uh, in, during COVID by building. You know, they were standing up warehouses faster than than, you know, you could imagine. And we've also in the warehouse space at in Q4, 156 million square feet became available. So we're going to see a shift in that as well, which should affect hopefully later in the year, some of the um, higher warehouse costs that, that we're seeing. But there is availability it's not completely rebalanced. So, you know, we're starting to see the signs of supply and demand rebalancing itself, uh, but we still have an oversupply of, of truck capacity compared to consumer demand um, and, and volume. So, you know, that that's going to be the wild card, you know, is... And, and boy, do I wish I could I, I could predict what that consumer demand uh, is going to be. I, I probably would be on a beach somewhere. But um, it, you know, that really is going to be the wild card. There are, we have, depends on how you look at it and, and what you follow. Um, you know, we've seen a big uptick in container imports um, up to the point that, we haven't seen since mid 2020. Um, so that volume could be an effect of um, pre-buying ahead of uh, the Chinese New Year, but it also could potentially will play out, could be a, a 
sign that retailers are expecting a stronger um, 2024 from a retail sales perspective and importers are are beginning to restock. Um, so all of these stats that we all kind of throw around and um, you can get stats, in my opinion, to say really whatever narrative you want, they're slight movements, but they're slight movements that for those of us that have been in the market for a long time and like yourselves, when it when it changes, it changes fast. And and people are like, wow, that happened overnight. Well, it really didn't. <laughs> you know, it, these indicators have been kind of happening all along. It's just when did you choose to begin to listen? Yeah, a lot of variables there, a lot of things to watch. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, on your website, you talked about how you help consumers gain visibility into their global supply chains. Where are some of the points of, um, you know, lack of visibility that, that shippers are most concerned about that you can add a lot of value to? So I, I, hopefully everybody has gotten their arms around their outbound shipping visibility, right? That's the easiest thing to, you know, one shipper to, to many customers, you're in control. You should have your arms around, um, you know, the full visibility of your outbound freight. Where we still see shippers struggling is on their inbound raw materials. Um, and, you know, a lot of that goes into how are they procuring their cost of goods. So we'll work with our customers to understand, one, how are they procuring that freight? What is the volume? Where is the origin of that? Is it really a pain point? Should we look to um, not you know, don't just go and negotiate delivered pricing and you're at the mercy of that that supplier sending you your freight and it's kind of a, a black hole. Um, you know, where's that tipping point where you should begin to control it, um, which then you can have the visibility to. The the other area that I think um, still in, in the industry that shippers struggle with are the modes where you have multiple legs and multiple providers, um, which really you need a TMS. So ocean, you know, how are you, what are the incoterms? Are you going port to port? Are you going door to door? You know, how many different uh, providers are in that one transaction that you have? You know, you're, you've got your, your drayage, um, you know, are you transloading? You know, you the ocean portion, you know, all of that, and different, you know, then you got your domestic leg and you have another carrier. So the, these movements that have multiple providers involved in them, it, it's difficult um, if you're not using a TMS or a freight management partner for a shipper to get that holistic visibility from foreign door to the U.S. door, whether that's a customer of theirs or you know, one of their locations. Same thing on cross-border. So um, we are a Mexican entity and have three offices in Mexico. And uh, northbound freight coming across, it, you know, you've got multiple legs of different providers, even though you may only be paying one bill. So it really, you know, speaks to the need to connect with all these different um, intermediary legs and and providers that are doing that to really give the holistic you know 
visibility that that you need. And that's really tough to do um, unless you have a TMS and unless you're investing that time um, to connect to all of those providers and to get that data so that you can then, um, you know, display it back to your customers, to your locations, and really understand where your freight is and control your production, um, et cetera. So that's, you know, most of the large shippers have, have, have gained that. Um, we work with a lot of mid-sized to small manufacturers, you know, and they're still really struggling with that. And for them to be able to get that and get speed to market with that visibility, you know, it, it, it pretty much means they need to be working with, uh, a freight management partner that can help them get there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's incredible. Just, I mean, I have a 10 minutes or so we've had here, all these different areas that, that you're speaking of. If, if those listening today want to have deeper conversations with you on this, uh, Tracy, what's the best way to reach out to you in Sunset? Um, they can reach me by email. So it's T Mitri, M E E T R E, at Sunset Trans, T R A N S dot com. Um, happy to, you can find me on LinkedIn, shoot me um, a LinkedIn message or connect. Uh, would love to have a conversation, especially with all the nearshoring that's happening. Um, one of the statistics that, that, I wasn't completely surprised at, but to really see it in print and, and justified is that um, Mexico has emerged as the U.S.'s largest trading partner in, in 2023 and has surpassed China. Um, so a lot of nearshoring. Uh, if you're new to cross-border shipping, it's, it is different. Um, we're dealing with fraud domestically, but it, it's even you know worse there. So make sure you get with a partner that can help advise and and set you up for success. I love that. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. And uh, for our audience as well, make sure you go check out Mike if you're in Texas. Uh, give us a panel this week. And of course, head to freeways.com and click on newsletters and join the Stockout community. And make sure that you check out our events at live.freeways.com and watch out for that discount code in our latest uh, newsletter as well. Uh, yeah, so we'll talk to everyone next week.